Thanks for watching NTD Business. Coming up, Microsoft laying off employees across the board as tech companies trim their workforces. New England residents face potential rolling blackouts during a cold winter. Their leaders are on a mission to secure their energy. And America's top diplomat warning that China's leader has become more aggressive abroad. What could it mean for Taiwan? We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. It seems America's largest companies are getting ready for a recession. Microsoft is cutting 1,000 employees. The layoffs will be across the company. A spokesperson confirmed the cuts to MarketWatch. Other tech companies have also recently trimmed their workforce, including Snap, Snapchat's parent company, Apple, and Oracle. One of the world's biggest banks, Goldman Sachs, announced a major reorganization today. It's also grappling with market volatility and a shrinking profit recession warning. The bank's trading and investment banking divisions will be merged into one unit. It's also rethinking its consumer bank, a bank that currently doesn't make any money. Doesn't sound very banky. But Goldman's results were better than expected today. It did better than expected. However, revenue still fell 12% from a year ago. And indeed, major rating agency Fitch today predicted the American economy will go into a 1990-style mild recession starting in this spring. What do you think? It says inflation will drain family income, causing them to spend less. That shrinking spending will lead to a downturn in the second quarter of next year. But Fitch did say the recession will be mild. It sees unemployment rate rising slightly, 1.9 percentage points, or millions of jobs lost. For the 1990-1991 recession, it lasted nine months, and the jobless rate increased by 2.8 percentage points. I think that's what the Federal Reserve wants, right? Markets, though, not overly down on the news, not as down as we were. Stocks up today, good news. The Dow gained 338 points, one and one-tenth of a percent. S&P rose 42 points, one and one-tenth of a percent. And the Nasdaq added 97 points, nine-tenths of a percent. And the state of Missouri is saying no to the world's largest investment manager. It says it's had enough of BlackRock's progressive priorities. The state's employment retirement fund just sold $500 million worth of BlackRock managed investments. It's not the first state to do it. BlackRock promotes ESG, or Environmental, Social, and Governance Standards. It's like a mix of progressive policies and a disdain for traditional energy like oil. Missouri says its retirement fund has a duty to prioritize maximum returns for investors not advance left-wing policies. Treasurer today said divesting from BlackRock was the right thing to do for state employees who rely on those assets for retirement. There may be more states following Missouri. We'll keep you updated. And energy shortages could leave people cold this winter without any home heating. And no, this isn't another story about the European energy crisis. This time, I'm talking about America especially New England. Its national gas supply is getting smaller and smaller. Its grid operator warns this could lead to rolling blackouts if the winter is extremely cold, ironically when people need heat the most. 
New England's governor is now on a mission to secure energy for the people, but that won't be easy. They don't have sufficient energy infrastructure. In fact, in the grid operator's own website, there's a long page dedicated solely to its natural gas infrastructure constraints. It tells us the natural gas is the dominant fuel New England uses, but the land they stand on doesn't contain any, so they have to depend on buying it from elsewhere. And because they don't have proper pipeline infrastructure, they're forced to buy natural gas in its more expensive, much more expensive, liquid form. It's called liquefied natural gas, or LNG. Natural gas has two forms. It has its normal gas form, which is transported through pipelines. That could be considered, an, but that could be condensed into a liquid form. This way it could be transported on special containers, on trucks or ships. But this only leads to another hurdle in New England's mission for energy security. It has to compete with the massive, energy-desperate European Union. The EU's population is a whopping 30 times bigger than New England's, and both are scrambling to get their hands in more LNG. One-third of New England's power comes from LNG. This means they're going to have a very, very expensive winter. There's no short-term solution. In the long term, they could build more pipelines and LNG infrastructure. But that's not going to happen before this winter. The states are currently just trying their best to shore up their fuel supplies. The chief analyst at the Oil Price Information Center, Dentis Incagrana, believes there's only one thing the federal government could do to help, and that's suspending the Jones Act. The Jones Act is about a hundred year old piece of legislation that basically says any ship that goes from one U.S. port to another U.S. port. So let's say from New Orleans to Port Canaveral, Florida, or to Port Everglades, Florida, or Savannah, Georgia, wherever, uh, that ship has to be U.S. made, U.S. flagged, and run by a U.S. crew. With that comes higher transportation costs. So the Jones Act is supposed to protect America's ship industry, okay? Synchrograna says if we could let all international ships in, the money saved would be substantial. A government report found back in 2010 that all the American ships were far more expensive. They had operating costs that were a hefty 2.7 times greater than those of other ships. This in turn mean more expensive goods. I think Tankato Institute says the Jones Act has been a failure by all metrics. It says the act has wreaked havoc on America's ship industry and that it's withered the fleet, the exact opposite of what it intended. One reason is the demanding, exhausting regulations. As Synchrograna said, all ships operating among America's ports have to be 100% American-made. Building one ship completely in America costs between $190 and $250 million dollars. Building one somewhere else could cost as little as $30 million. Cato says the act has inflicted considerable economic harm. Meanwhile, its positive contributions have been trivial, according to Cato. But at an urgent time like this, with people potentially freezing during the cold winter, will the federal government suspend the Jones Act? I asked energy analyst Denton Cinquagrana what he thinks. Nope. It's just been one of those things where, you know, I've seen, we've seen it suspended uh, in the past for a short term period, and it's usually associated with a hurricane or something along those lines. But for some reason, the Jones Act is a sacred cow that no one will touch. 
New England's governors have asked the Biden administration to suspend the Jones Act. That was all the way back in the summer. The Biden administration didn't respond. We'll keep you updated on that, too. And a series of new videos has been made public showing the massive damage to the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, a key piece of infrastructure at the heart of Europe's energy crisis. The videos are from a Swedish newspaper. According to the paper, the images show that over 160 feet of pipeline has been destroyed. The Nord Stream pipelines run under the Baltic Sea and deliver Russian natural gas to Germany. Multiple leaks were detected last month and European officials say it could be sabotage. Russia, which built the network, did not rule it out either. European countries are investigating. And since Russia reduced the flow of natural gas to Europe in the summer, European gas prices have just skyrocketed. Now, the European Union is proposing some measures to help tame prices for citizens. Today, the European Union proposed capping natural gas prices, temporarily, that is. The proposal aims to protect consumers from high prices again ahead of winter amid an energy crisis. France, Italy and a dozen other countries have been calling for a price cap, but Germany and the Netherlands oppose it. They argue that a cap would divert supplies to regions willing to pay more and increase demand. EU leaders will discuss the plan on Thursday and again next week. It seems inflation and high prices are starting to irk some people in the EU. French trade unions began a nationwide strike today. They're asking for higher salaries amid decades high inflation. And this could be one of the biggest challenges for France's president since he was re-elected in May. Anthony's Colin Fredrickson reports. France has already endured weeks of disruption at gas stations. Supplies have been hit as workers at refineries and depots walked out to demand higher pay. On Tuesday, unions began a nationwide strike over pay in other sectors. Public sector employers, including schools and transportation, look set to be hardest hit. National Railway Operator SNCF said traffic on regional lines was down 50 percent. Eurostar has canceled some trains between London and Paris. It all marks one of the biggest challenges to President Emmanuel Macron since his re-election in May. Unions hope workers will be energized by the government's increasingly hard line on the gas strikes. Ministers have forced some strikers to go back to work to get supplies flowing again. That's a move some see as jeopardizing the right to strike. Most unions in the sector have actually reached agreement with oil company Total Energies over a pay raise. However, the hardline CGT is holding out for a 10% hike. It has called on workers to continue the strikes now in their fourth week. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And brazen robbers got away with half a million dollars worth of jewelry in one of New York City's most affluent areas. Anthony Sean Marshall is on the scene reporting. The streets are busy right now, but at night, three robbers got away with over $500,000 worth of jewelry. From this high-end Park Avenue jewelry store, the break-in happened around 3.30 Saturday at Salini Jewelers in the 400 block of Park Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, an area also known as Billionaire's Row. You can see the robbers busting in through the front doors. They look quite organized as they smash and unload the jewelry cases. According to the NYPD, burglaries in New York City are up 31% from last year. I asked some locals for their opinion on how to deal with the crime increases. So how are they going to vote? And how do they vote on a local level? How do they vote on a state level? How do they vote on a national level? 
is the thing that's going to to be the deciding factor. I asked Marsha what she would tell the government to maybe help mitigate the crime increases. I mean, I would say stop making police the enemy. Weed out the bad ones, but don't make all of them the enemy because we obviously need them. It's how do you stop crime without police. Anyone with tips that lead to an arrest can earn a reward of up to $3,500. Although some internet commenters feel that might not be enough to get involved. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And China will invade Taiwan sooner than expected. It's according to U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He said China under Xi Jinping has, quote, become more repressive at home and more aggressive abroad. In recent years, Beijing has changed its approach on Taiwan. Here he is at the event at Stanford University. Instead of sticking with the status quo that was established in, in a positive way, um, a fundamental decision that the status quo was no longer acceptable and that um, Beijing was determined to pursue reunification on a um, much faster timeline. And if peaceful means didn't work, then it would employ coercive means. And possibly, if coercive means don't work, maybe forceful means uh, to achieve its objectives. On Sunday, CCP head Xi Jinping reiterated that China is determined to take over Taiwan. He says, quote, we reserve the option of taking all necessary measures. Blinken said the stakes are high for all the countries around the world. On semiconductors, if Taiwanese production were disrupted as a result of a crisis, uh, you would have an economic crisis around the world. President Biden said last month that U.S. forces would defend Taiwan if China's military invaded. Though the White House says the U.S.'s policy of, quote, strategic ambiguity on the matter has not changed. And for the first time ever, the U.S. military is ranked as weak by the Heritage Foundation's newest U.S. military strength index. Not good news. The index is a report card for how well or poorly the U.S. military has evolved over time. Criteria of measurement includes modernity, capacity for operations, and readiness to handle assigned missions. The index said that the U.S. military is now at growing risk of not being able to defend America's national interests. It says that the military is also needed to deter America's enemies and to be able to physically impose its will on an enemy when necessary. The index says that China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea pose high threats to U.S. interests. And here to talk to us about the current state of the U.S. military is Brent Sadler. He had a career in the U.S. Navy for 26 years. He's currently a senior research fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Thanks for coming on, Brent. So I think this is the first time that the U.S. military has been ranked as weak by, by this index. And the report also talked about, you know, deterring enemies of the U.S. So do you think there could have been a smaller chance of Russia invading Ukraine if we had a stronger military? Well, I think so. If the military forces in Europe were distributed or postured uh, differently, it would have signaled two things. One, uh, where U.S. national interests are very clearly and explicitly. And the other is it would have implied extra additional costs that Putin probably would not have calculated beforehand. And I think the, the effect would have been 
more effective deterrence to a Russian invasion of Ukraine. So I guess, what is the solution? How do you make the U.S. military strong? Well, the first thing is a clear-eyed uh, strategy that works off the weaknesses of the adversaries or competitors. In this case, fort and foremost is China. Uh, that's less than clear that that's what we're doing because it seems like we still continue to fixate on other fights. Right now, it's Ukraine. Uh, you know, albeit an important one to focus in on, but the main fight's going to be with China, and it's going to most likely be over Taiwan. So that's the first thing. The other is to have some sense of continuity and predictability in the budgets. We are on another continuing resolution. Uh, the military has gotten used to this, but it still impacts contracting in a very negative way. And I, I want to point something else out. Uh, a, a master sergeant uh, currently serving in the Air Force told, told the Epoch Times that there's an imbalanced focus on diversity over performance when deciding the fate of an airman's career. He said, uh, wokeism is prevalent. Is this an issue right now in military culture? I think, I think it is. Uh, we're starting to see that it's impacting retention. So folks that are in the military that are leaving for greener pastures or feel that they're being alienated by some of these policies, which we have anecdotal evidence that it's working quite contrary to inclusion, to be exclusive or exclusionary. And then when it comes to recruiting, every service has has had real hard time meeting their numbers. One, for the physical uh, viability of candidates. You know, we only have about a quarter of the American population that can even have the physical, uh, pass the physical requirements. But then if you've got a, a nation that is being demonized as not worthy for fighting for, or a military that is sexist or racist, um, with systemic racism insinuations that exist, no one's gonna wanna join that. And that's what's happening, I think. And that's the real challenge that we need to get rid of this, this diversity, equity, inclusion, nice sounding, but in execution is having the exact opposite effect on our military. And I would also like to talk about some practical dangers in the current geopolitical environment. What real threats is facing America because of a weak military? Well, the, the issue is uh, with weakness, then all of your adversaries and all your competitors start coming out of the woodwork. And so your problems aren't just singular. They start to multiply. So the, the challenges for the United States start to become logarithmically larger. So while we have problems right now with Saudi Arabia getting them to agree to pump more oil, that's, they don't have to worry about a strong U.S. presence around the world that is to their benefit or something to consider. Economic impacts also policies in Ukraine, Russia has continued to look elsewhere. He may actually take next moves in Georgia. Uh, there's nothing that we have postured to really signal that we would push back on that. And then, of course, China. If we're not postured with adequate military presence forward, when they do their day-to-day -day calculations of, is today the day to attack Taiwan and to invade, it becomes more and more likely that they say, yes, that's that day. And it all comes down to having ships, aircraft, and troops proximate to where the flashpoint is. Okay, just, just one last thing. You mentioned Russia. How likely do you see a, a nuclear war? Uh, a nuclear war with the United States and NATO and Russia, I think, is very, very low. It, it doesn't serve any of Putin or Russia's broader geostrategic interest. Uh, the one that I'm more focused in on is, and the odds are never zero on any of this, but are still very low, is the tactical use of a, of a small yield nuclear weapon in the battlefield in Ukraine. One, it wouldn't be tactically effective, the way the forces are distributed, it, it, you'd have to use numerous of these weapons. If Putin were to do that, A, he's not going to get much tactical benefit from it. B, 
His effort is to try to split and to d dissolve NATO. This would have the exact opposite effect. It would actually bring countries like Germany and France and others that question the act, you know, supporting Ukraine fully on board. And it would unify NATO in a way that I don't think is in Russia's interest. So I give it very little odds unless there was some kind of provocation uh, against the NATO, NATO uh, member state. All right. Thank you very much, Brent Sadler, Heritage Foundation. Great speaking with you. Thank you for having me on today. Thanks, Don. We're going to take a quick break, but if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. American Airlines agrees to pay millions of dollars over baggage fees. And luxury car maker Rolls-Royce unveils its first ever fully electric car over a hundred years after its co-founder predicted an electric future. With that and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. American Airlines has agreed to pay millions of dollars to settle a lawsuit over alleged bogus baggage fees. The settlement was revealed in court documents filed in Texas Friday. The document stated that American has agreed to pay at least $7.5 million to those who accused it of requiring some passengers to pay checked baggage fees, even when they were promised free checked bags. The fees were charged between 2013 and 2021, long time. And that was to some credit card holders and some frequent or first-class flyers, but they're not happy. As part of the settlement, American will provide full refunds to those who were improperly charged fees, but they must file valid claims in a timely manner. Those who are already part of the class action lawsuit will be notified of the settlement and how to submit those claims. And super luxury car maker Rolls-Royce has unveiled its first ever fully electric coupe. And get this, the vehicle comes more than 120 years after the automaker's founder predicted an electric future for his cars. Anthony's Andrew Thomas reports. In 1900, Charles Rolls said electric vehicles would be a clean, quiet alternative to the internal combustion engine, providing there was sufficient infrastructure. Charles Rolls made a prophecy, and that prophecy was that electric drive is a perfect fit because it's clean, it's noiseless. Today, that prophecy has become a reality. Despite measuring nearly 18 feet in length and weighing nearly 3.3 tons, Spectre can accelerate from 0 to 60 miles per hour in just 4.3 seconds. The vehicle is expected to have a range of 320 miles. Onboard technology monitors the suspension, steering, braking, and power to keep the car stable when cruising around corners on any road surface. And everything you experience in the car gives you that pleasing feeling of riding uh, on a magic carpet ride, wafting 
through the country, flight on land in electric form. The company says it doesn't talk about the price of their cars, but revealed it will be positioned between $283,000 and $454,000. But with extras and customization, there's no limit. The company says it expects to end the production of its iconic V12 engine and switch to a fully electric fleet by the end of the decade. The first Spectres will be delivered to customers by the end of next year. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. I'd drive one. That's the latest to the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can't follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.